the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Justin Mansfield is engineering today's program. James Blind producing. And in the Seattle area, Pedro Bartez is engineering and producing. Glad to have you with us. Well, the New York appellate court upheld election integrity. The lawsuit in the New York led by the Republican National Committee, saw an appellate court rule that no non-U.S. citizen uh, can vote in our elections. Well, if the absurd policy had been allowed to stand, some 900,000 non-citizens would be able to cast votes in municipal elections in the Big Apple. They could uh, turn the, uh, the tide of an election. RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel emphasized that American elections should be decided by American citizens Full stop. Well, it seems like a no-brainer, but these days you can't just assume. Uh, The huge election integrity win, a New York appellate court ruled in favor of the GOP's lawsuit to stop 900,000 from voting in New York City elections. The RNC has been fighting that battle since 2022. We'll always um, uh, follow these kinds of stories because they have to do with election integrity and whether or not U.S. citizens um, are, in fact, afforded the privilege to determine the course of their own future. Well, Claire McCaskill on MSNBC said, I move that every newspaper in America quits doing any fact checks on Joe Biden. Well, during an appearance on MSNBC on Thursday morning, the former Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill went ballistic over the New York Times fact check of President Joe Biden. In her remarks, McCaskill declared Biden shouldn't be fact checked at all and laughably implied the media isn't focused enough on criticizing former President Donald Trump. Of course, he's a former president. The current president is scrutiny no longer permitted. Unhinged, wrote uh, one uh, columnist, Steve Guest, former Democrat Senator Claire McCaskill on MSNBC. I move that every newspaper in America quits doing any fact checks, not in general, but just on one particular individual. Well, meanwhile, Chicago is looking to remove police officers from public schools. They're advancing an an effort to scrap a $10.3 million program that places police officers in Chicago public schools and directs their full removal by the 2024-25 academic year. The mayor there, Brandon Johnson, is backing the measure to remove school resource officers and find a different plan to create a comprehensive whole school safety policy without them. Well, the new policy is being requested from Chicago public schools by Uh, July 27th for the Chicago Board of Education to tally a final vote. ABC reported that the Chicago Board of Education is meeting to consider dropping the school resource officers program by 2025 at a time when violence perpetrated in and on schools is on the rise. Right now, 39 high schools have police on campus. Meanwhile, not all school communities want to see student resource officers go. We'll see how that tug of war ultimately ends. Well, Americans overwhelmingly support a ban on abortions after 16 weeks, and that is encouraging. Uh, we've been tracking polls for years showing that Americans broadly support 
quite a few abortion limitations and restrictions. They oppose the inhumane and extreme position uh, of some abortion on demand for any reason through all nine months of pregnancy funded by taxpayers. Even President Biden recently seemed to intuit that voters don't want that, even though it's his official position. But if voters are given the choice between something that's sold to them as a moderate pro-choice policy and something that they see as an overtly prohibitive anti-abortion policy, they'll choose the former pretty decisively. Uh, YouGov uh, poll says, do you support or oppose a national ban on abortions after 16 weeks of pregnancy? 48% oppose, or rather support, 36% oppose. In other news, San Francisco police, they've suspended their investigation into protesters who held Riley Gaines for ransom after her speech. Almost one year after she was attacked and held hostage after a speaking engagement at San Francisco State University, it appears no one will be held accountable. Sadly, I'm not at all surprised. Gaines was um, Gaines rather was harassed and threatened while giving a speech at SFSU campus in April of 23. She says she was also struck by a man wearing a dress. Campus police barricaded her in a room for safety where she was held for several hours while protesters screamed outside. The angry mob tried to demand money for her release. In the months following, the SFSU police gave her the runaround. Gaines reached out to the uh, police from the university at the end of January for an update on the case. And in an email sent on February 2nd, Detective Corporal Thea Fernandez informed Gaines that there wouldn't be charges filed. After a thorough investigation, the alleged charges are unfounded and have been suspended pending further lead. Fernandez wrote in the email. Well, Gaines says, remember when I was assaulted and held for ransom through the night by a mob of violent protesters at SFSU? The police have finally informed me the case has been suspended as all charges are alleged and unfounded. I guess audio, video and eyewitness evidence aren't admissible in San Francisco. Hmm. Well, CBS has fired an investigative journalist and seized the personal files and materials of that journalist. And many are scratching their heads. Well, the acclaimed CBS reporter who was investigating the Hunter Biden laptop scandal before she was fired last week had her personal files seized by the network in an unprecedented move. Now, unprecedented is the important word here. This isn't typical. Catherine Herridge who is the uh, middle of the First Amendment case being closely watched by journalists nationwide, was among 20 CBS News staff let go. Her firing had stunned co-workers, but the network's decision to hold on to her personal materials, along with her work laptop, where she may have other confidential information, has left many staffers shaken. Again, unprecedented. Well, Herridge had been a celebrated investigative reporter at Fox News. An old-school investigative journalist, she's viewed as a hard-driving, middle-of-the-road reporter, cut from the same cloth as the network's legendary figures. The timing of Herridge's termination immediately raised suspicion in Washington. She was pursuing stories that were unwelcome by the Biden White House and many Democratic powerhouses, including the Her report on Joe Biden's diminished mental capacity, the Biden corruption scandal and the Hunter Biden laptop. She continued to pursue these stories despite reports of pushback from CBS executives, including CBS News President Ingrid Matthews and her Uh, Firing and the retention of her confidential files on that investigation, excuse me, have raised a number of important questions.
Well, Venezuela has halted all flights of deported illegal immigrants from the U.S. and Mexico. Venezuela has followed through on a threat to stop accepting flights of migrants deported from the U.S. and Mexico back to Venezuela. People familiar with the measure say adding pressure to President Biden as a surge of uh, migrants coming into the country illegally becomes a key issue in this year's presidential election. That has sparked his interest all of a sudden. Well, President Maduro's authoritarian regime introduced the measure after Washington reimposed some of the economic sanctions it had previously lifted on Venezuela. The U.S. said the Caracas, uh, that Caracas had failed to live up to the loose pledge it made to restore the democratic order and move toward holding fair presidential elections. Venezuela has also asserted a claim to a resource-rich region of neighboring Guyana, drawing further warnings from the U.S. Well, Post Millennial reports that according to data from the U.S. government, the United States deported approximately 1,800 Venezuelans on 15 flights since October, which is a negligible amount of the nearly half million Venezuelans who have been detained illegally uh, entering the U.S. over the past two years, the outlet reported. Well, Yale University has reinstituted the SAT-ACT requirement for admissions, the second Ivy League school to do so. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments, but I do need to take a break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're just taking a look at some of the headlines dominating the uh, the news and the thoughts of the American people in the context of confidence in the one who oversees it all. Quick break. We'll be back. I'm Georgine Rice. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Glad to have you with us. Well, Yale University has reinstituted the SAT-ACT requirement for admissions. Now, this is some... Um, a move in the right direction. Yale University said on Thursday that it will reinstate its standardized test requirement for first-year applicants for the fall of 2025 admission and later, saying that their test-optional policy instituted during the, the COVID-19 pandemic can put students from low-income, first-generation, and rural backgrounds at a disadvantage. Well, Yale is now instituting what it calls the text-flexible policy that will allow applicants to choose between four different tests to submit scores from the SAT, the ACT, advanced placement or international baccalaureate exams, the latter two of which are subject based. Well, the experience originally necessitated by the pandemic has been an invaluable opportunity to think deeply about testing policy and to generate new data and analysis, Yale says. With testing availability now fully restored to prospective applicants around the world, we have reevaluated our policy with the benefit of fresh insight. Well, a billboard in New York City highlights President Biden's border catastrophe. The billboard in Times Square went up on uh, Thursday of last week, highlighting how the administration's failure to secure the border is affecting communities across America. The billboard reads, hey, Joe, if cops aren't safe because of your open borders, nobody is and shows video of NYPD officers getting assaulted by a group of illegal immigrants last month. Viewers are then directed to the secureourbordersnow.com where people can learn more and sign a petition. Well, the Job Creators Network says that New York Times billboard Biden has allowed the border to descend into chaos and it's affecting the entire country, including small businesses that face elevated costs during due to crime. Sign the petition to the to, to secure the border. 
Well, Google plans to fix AI imaging after generating historical images without white people. Now, I'm a black girl. I I love seeing black images, but I also like the truth. I, I think it's essential. George Washington was not a black man. And if you Google George Washington, he shouldn't appear to be one in the in the app. Let's tell the truth. There are significant and plenty of black figures that are impressive that uh, when Googled will appear as such. But let's not replace fact with fiction. Well, Google will pause the image generation feature on its artificial intelligence or AI tool Gemini after the model refused to create images of white people at all. Well, the Alphabet-owned company apologized on Wednesday after users on social media flagged that Gemini's image generator was creating inaccurate historical images that sometimes replaced white people with images of black, Native American, and Asian people. Now, I love images of black, Native American, and Asian people when you're actually generating images of black, Native American, and Asian people. We're aware that Gemini is offering inaccuracies in some historical images, generation depictions, Google said on Wednesday. Well, Gemini's racially diverse image output comes amid longstanding concerns around racial bias within AI models, especially a lack of representation for minorities and people of color. Well, such biases can directly harm people who rely on AI algorithms, such as in healthcare settings, where AI tools can affect healthcare outcomes for hundreds of millions of patients, according to NBC. But Paul Graham says the ridiculous images generated by Gemini aren't an anomaly. They are self-portrait of Google's bureaucratic corporate culture. Well, as expected, Donald Trump, he won the GOP primary in South Carolina. The former president rolled to victory on Saturday in South Carolina in the Republican primary, easily defeating former Governor Nikki Haley in her home state and moving ever closer to the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. Trump, who also won uh, convention delegate uh, contests in Iowa and New Hampshire, is on track to win the nomination, despite the prospect of up to four criminal trials in the months ahead. Winning the South Carolina primary is a particularly good sign for Trump. Most of the Republicans who have won the Palmetto State's primary have gone on to win the party's nomination. Former South Carolina Governor Haley, she says she's staying in the GOP presidential primary race despite her loss in her home state. She pledged to stay in the race, even if she lost the Palmetto State. And she said she's sticking with that. I'm a woman of my word. I'm not giving this fight, uh, giving up this fight when a majority of Americans disapprove of both Donald Trump and Joe Biden, she told supporters. Well, Super Tuesday will be the uh, the date, uh, apparently, that she will determine the course and future of her presidential aspirations. President Biden's new approval ratings hover just above an all-time low. Americans' approval of the president's job performance has edged down three percentage points to 38%, just one point shy of his all-time low. In addition, the president registers subpar approval ratings for his handling of five key issues facing the U.S., including a new low of 28% for immigration, which may explain his visit to the border later this week, and readings um, ranging from 30% to 40% for the situation in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, foreign affairs, the economy, 
economy and the situation in Ukraine. Well, a low mark on immigration came amid the administration's failure to manage an unprecedented surge of uh, migration crossing the border illegally on the in the south, which has overwhelmed officials and drained cities resources. The Border Patrol has encountered around 8.5 million illegal aliens at the southern border since Biden took office in 21, with an estimated uh, additional 1.8 million who escaped apprehension. Well, President Biden brought hundreds of new sanctions against Russia. Well, the president on Friday announced more than 500 new sanctions on Russia and its war machine in the largest tranche of penalties since Moscow's invasion of Ukraine nearly two years ago. The president followed through on a promise to further punish Russian President Vladimir Putin one week after opposition leader Alexei Navalny died in a Siberian prison. The sanctions, as well as those added Friday by the European Union, come one day before the second anniversary of Putin's invasion of the, the um, of Ukraine. The Treasury Department will impose uh, additional price cap uh, sanctions that will make it more costly for Russia to get around sanctions. This um, round of sanctions is likely to be more symbolic than impactful. At least that's what the Council on Foreign Relations senior fellow uh, Charles Kupchin says. The initial tranche of uh, sanctions issued after Russia's invasion of Ukraine saw the Russian economy constrict Shortly after, Russia's economy regained its footing, however. Russian businesses and industry, after a momentary shock as the sanctions set in, found new supply chains and buyers, especially through China, as well as loopholes that allowed their products to get into Western markets. Well, the latest round of sanctions will impact some of those loopholes, though the overall impact to Russia will be minimal. Well, Israel has laid out a plan for a post-war Gaza Strip. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu closed the week by releasing to the security cabinet and subsequently the media the outline of a plan for what the Gaza Strip will look like and how Israel will handle the enclave once Hamas terrorists and the threat the uh, Iran-backed barbarians pose um, have uh, been eliminated. The plans were rolled out for discussion among Israel's government in what the Jerusalem Post called a brief document that divided the situation into three periods, immediate, short, and long-term. The Israeli army will retain securing control of the Gaza Strip and the West Bank once the war is over, and a local Palestinian governance of technocrats will rule the enclave. Meanwhile, Israel is mulling over a ceasefire with Hamas. Israel is negotiating the deal with Hamas that could result in the release of 40 hostages in exchange for a six-week ceasefire. And although Israel is still far from a deal, one Israeli official told Axios some progress was made in the negotiations this week. A U.S. official said the agreement would also require Israel to release several hundred Palestinian prisoners, some of whom were convicted of murdering Israelis in exchange for 40 medically vulnerable or female Israeli civilians. Meanwhile, fighting and airstrikes continue to claim lives in the enclave. Netanyahu said that he would convene his cabinet this week to approve plans for an operation in Rafah in Gaza's far south, where around 1.2 to 1.5 million people are crammed into any available space. Increased Israeli airstrikes there have already uh, made um, uh, aid operations more difficult. Aid agencies and many Western governments have warned that the consequences of an assault on Rafah could be dire. Meanwhile, hundreds of those entering the country illegally have been released into San Diego. 
Hundreds uh, were mass released into California on Friday after video surveillance footage captured a Border Patrol bus handing them over to a non-governmental organization or NGO. About 200 were mass street released in um, uh, San Ysidro. I can't quite pronounce that city. Never could. San Diego from Border uh, Patrol custody. The migrants traveled from Peru, India and Colombia, many saying that they were heading to Atlanta and Minneapolis to look for work. The reason hundreds uh, were released into the state by Border Patrol agents is because San Diego County recently spent millions of taxpayer dollars on building a migrant shelter. However, that shelter ran out of money and resources, resulting in nowhere to house the migrants who had illegally entered the United States. It is a mess. We were live on the air, says Bill Mulligan. We were live on the air as the first of many Border Patrol buses began arriving and mass releasing hundreds uh, to San Diego streets. We spoke to many of them live. They were from all around the world and they were planning to go to blue states in the U.S. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back to continue our march through the headlines. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the U.S. and the U.K. forces struck 18 Houthi targets in Yemen, a coalition of countries that included the uh, and was led by the U.S. and U.K. on Saturday, carried out a new round of strikes on the Houthis in Yemen in response to the Houthis' continued attacks against commercial and naval vessels in and around the Red Sea. According to officials, the strikes were again 18 targets, including those related to underground weapons storage facilities, missile storage facilities, one-way attack unmanned aerial systems, air defense systems, radars, and a helicopter. The strikes were the fourth wave of strikes that the countries have launched against Houthi targets inside of Yemen over the last couple of months in response to four months of attacks on shipping lanes in the Red Sea. And the California Legislative Analysis uh, Analysts Office on Tuesday uh, increased this year's projected state budget shortfall to $73 billion, nearly twice as much as Governor Gavin Newsom forecasted last month. Ouch. Well, Mr. Newsom has ambitions to reside in Washington, D.C., and based on his deficits, it looks like he'd fit right in. Mr. Newsom projected a $38 billion budget gap last month, $20 billion less than the LAO did at the time. He's counting on a surge in tax revenue from capital gains after the rise in stock prices in recent months. But that may or may not actually materialize. Meanwhile, Microsoft is bragging about paying minority employees more than whites for the same job. Microsoft bragged that it uh, pays its white employees less than non-white employees who are employed in similar roles in a diversity uh, report touting the company's pay equity agenda. The admission came from the tech giant's 2023 diversity and inclusion report, which outlines the company's loyalty to the diversity, equity and inclusion agenda. All racial and ethnic minority groups who are rewarded uh, eligible combined uh, earnings of one point zero zero seven uh, total pay for every one point zero 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 earned by the U.S. rewards eligible white employees with the same job title and level and considering tenure. The Microsoft report brags. So a built in inequality. And this is supposed to be something that we celebrate again. Black girl don't like it. Level playing field. Whatever happened to 
embracing Dr. Martin Luther King's view that we are judged by the content of our character, our output. And the presumption was that we have the capacity as black people and Asian people and Native American people to compete because we are smart enough. We have the access to the resources to prepare ourselves. We're committed to moving forward. Well, that has since been jettisoned. Well, Libs of TikTok reported that in Microsoft's official diversity and inclusion report, they openly admit that they are paying white people less than other ethnic groups in the name of pay equity. Pay equity does not apply when there is a uh, this kind of inequality. Well, Disney's ABC is trying to fill commercial slots for the Oscars. I haven't watched the Oscars in years. It's no longer entertaining. It's not fun. It's just a political rally. Who wants to watch that? Well, executives at the Disney-backed broadcast network are still working to sell commercials for the 96th Oscars, slated to air on Sunday, March the 10th, according to three people familiar with those negotiations, with a little more than two weeks to go before the glitzy event. And while CBS's recent Grammy telecast showed growth after ratings hit a, a nader in... 21 advertisers have viewed some of the big annual awards programs with new skepticism as the show's allure has faded and proved less uh, enticing to younger audiences and some of us who are older as well. Disney has been seeking between 1.7 million to 2.2 million for a 30 second spot in that event. Viewership for the Oscars is still way down despite receiving a slight boost last year. Fewer than 19 million people tuned in to last year's ABC broadcast. Ten years ago, the Oscars drew more than 40 million viewers. In 1998, the show attracted 50 million. But the trend is certainly in the opposite direction. Well, Joe Biden's dog, Commander, the German shepherd who can't help but attack and bite those who protect his master, finally, as the New York Post reports, has apparently been given to relatives following reports of still more vicious attacks, including one in which White House tours were suspended to mop up blood from the floor of the East Wing and another attack in which an agent suffered a severe, deep, open wound at Biden's Delaware vacation vacation home. Apparently, as CNN reports, Commander bit U.S. Secret Service personnel at least 24 times at the White House and other locations, according to new internal USS uh, documentation. So the Bidens were hiding the whole truth about their out-of-control dog, a dog that the Bidens obviously failed to train. But no worries, the first family has apologized to those who have been bitten, mauled, otherwise maimed, taken flowers to some, according to CNN. They feel awful. But only awful enough that in the third year, they uh, send the dog elsewhere. Go to college, they implored. Were higher education a real business, it would have been shuttered a long time ago. It's not, though, largely because it's being propped up by taxpayer funds and because it's an unaccountable to its customers. Uh, this is why we think colleges and universities are long past due for a reckoning and why we don't think the higher ed bubble can possibly burst soon enough. Well, the latest evidence of this comes in a Wall Street Journal article revealing that roughly half of college graduates end up in jobs where their degrees aren't needed and that underemployment has lasting implications for workers' earnings and career paths and, of course, paying back those loans. Well, this wasn't uh, some little study either. The findings come by way of tracking the career paths of more than 10 million people who entered the job market over the past decade. A whopping 52% of graduates are now working in jobs that, well, don't make use of their skills or credentials, many of them deeply in debt. 
But don't worry, Uncle Joe will bail them out. Jeb Bush stands up for uh, Donald Trump and Elon Musk. Well, sort of. The op-ed, which was co-authored by the former Florida governor, Jeb Bush, and uh, someone named Joe Lonsdale, has one unsurprising sentence. Every American has a right to be critical of Mr. Trump's politics. One of us ran against him in 2016. Or Mr. Musk's public persona. That's a quote from the article. Well, Jeb is being too modest here. He didn't just run against Donald Trump. He got chewed up, spit out, and curb stomped by Donald Trump at the time. The rest of his missive is a vigorous defense of Trump and Elon Musk against the lawfare, the leftist lawfare that they've been up against, as well as a warning about the potential damage these egregiously errant rulings can do to both the economy and the rule of law. Their op-ed closes the appellate courts in the states now have a chance to review these dangerous judicial rulings and try to stop further damage to the reputations of their respective um, judiciaries. If they don't, blue state politicians may have the uh, satisfaction of sticking it to the misters, uh, Trump and Musk, um, but the loss of those states will be significant. The damage to the legal fabric of the country will be perhaps irreversible. Meanwhile, in other news, Michigan voters hit to the polls on Tuesday to cast their ballots in the state-run primary, with both Republicans and Democrats making their pick for their party's 2024 nominee. Polls are open from 7 to 8, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. local time. Most of the state runs on Eastern Standard Time, but four counties in the Upper Peninsula observe Central Time. Democrat primary voters can choose from President Biden and his challengers, Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota and author Marianne Williamson, who dropped out a few weeks ago. Those voters will also have the option to cast an uncommitted vote. Meanwhile, Republican voters on Tuesday will have their choice from former President Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, the only two GOP candidates left in the race, and others who have since dropped out, including former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. There are 16 delegates at stake. Well, President Biden dismissed concerns about his age during a friendly sit-down with late-night host Seth Meyers on Monday and took a few swipes at former President Trump. Meyers began the Q&A cracking a joke about special counsel Robert Hur's report, telling Biden it says you're currently 81 years old. Well, according to recent polling, this is a real concern for American voters. How do you address that concern going forward as you come up to the 2024 election? We'll tell you how the president responded in just a moment, but we do need to take a quick break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Stay with us. There's a lot more to talk about. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Biden dismissed concerns about his age during a friendly sit-down. That's the kind he likes, the friendly sit-down with late-night host Seth Meyers. That was on Monday, and he took a few swipes at the former president. I mean, he's in a presidential race, so it's expected. Well, Myers began the Q&A with uh, cracking a joke about special counsel Robert Hur's report, telling the president that it says you're 81 years old. The president responded rather uh, comically, saying, who told you that? That's classified information. It was funny. Well, according to recent polling, Myers went on to say, this is a real concern for American voters. How do you address that concern going forward as you come up to the 2024 election? Well, a couple of things the president responded. Number one, you got to take a look at the other guy. 
deflecting the uh, the question. He's about as old as I am, but he can't remember his wife's name. You can expect to hear that repeated often. Uh, he responded, the president, sparking cheers from the crowd. Number two, it's about how old your ideas are, Biden continued. Look, this is a guy who wants to take us back. He wants to take us back on Roe versus Wade. He wants to take us back on a whole range of issues that are 50, 60. There have been solid American positions. The president went on to tout how his administration has gotten some good things done and warned about what would happen if Trump was back in the White House. And I really think his views on where to take America are older than anyway. I don't want to get going. End quote. Well, the president said before Myers moved on from the topic, it didn't stay there long. Biden's age and mental acuity have been a major issue for him ahead of his reelection bid, as polls show that an overwhelming majority of Americans, including Democrats, believe he's too old to seek another term. However, that may not translate into a vote for Trump. Um, they dislike. It may just mean people stay home from the polls, but only the election itself will tell that tale. A record number of Americans see large numbers of illegal immigrants coming into the United States as a critical threat to U.S. interests. That's according to a new poll published on Tuesday. The Gallup poll found that 55 percent of U.S. adults say that large numbers of immigrants entering the United States illegally are a critical threat to the U.S. vital interests. Now, again, the emphasis on illegally. This is up 8 percent from 2023 and higher than the previous high of 50 percent in 2004. Of those polled, 31 percent said large numbers of immigrants entering illegally is an important threat, while 14 percent said it was not important. The country is now in the third year of an historic border crisis. The record of um, for yearly encounters at the southern border was broken last fiscal year when more than 2.4 million migrants were encountered at the border. The monthly record for encounters was set in December when there were more than 300,000 encounters for the first time. In a poll, 28% of Americans say immigration is the most important problem facing the U.S., sharply higher than in January, when the number was 20%. The polling highlights immigration as the most named problem above government, 20%, the economy, 12%, and inflation, 11%. That 28% essentially ties the 27% recorded in July of 2019 as the highest since Gallup began polling mentions on of immigration in 1981. Former Republican, well, actually, we already talked about that a little bit. A huge issue amid the uh, epidemic of fatherlessness in American households. Uh, one philanthropist sat down with nearly 100 nonprofit founders to reveal the importance of men in society and what happens when they disappear. The importance of men. Well, the uh, cult survivor who later became a Yale graduate, an NFL player whose stepdad rose to the occasion when his father passed away, a victim of sex trafficking who eventually overcame homelessness and drug addiction. These are just some of the stories in Vanishing Fathers, a podcast series that will soon become a book. When they're telling their stories, it all starts with, I didn't have my father that was involved. Vanishing Fathers author Jamie Truman said, 
She and her husband co-founded Truman Charities together 14 years ago, and they've raised nearly $2 million for local and national charitable organizations. Truman grew up with a father who struggled with substance abuse issues that ultimately led to his death. At the time, she admitted that she didn't think much about the overwhelming effect of fathers on society, despite the way her own dad left a lasting impact. But as she started hosting the podcast series in 2021, Truman began to see a pattern. Although many of her guests came from different backgrounds and had vastly divergent life experiences, they all described a sense of emptiness that later flourished into complex struggles. As it turns out, fatherlessness is a huge issue in our culture and in society, Truman says. And the impact of absent fathers across the country, across to various, um, according to various literature, is staggering. Research from the Minnesota Psychological Association suggested that children who grow up without a father may be more likely to distrust authority figures and feel a heightened sense of anger. As a child grows up, these issues may lead to contact with criminal justice system, the use of illegal substances and a variety of mental health problems. One study the association cited from the U.S. Department of Justice found that 75 percent of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers are from homes without fathers. The active involvement of a father with his children can promote empathy and self-control for the child throughout life, the association said. Previous publications highlighted by the association have also linked childhood obesity to father-absent homes. Other issues that can arise from the lack of involvement from a father include gang involvement, homelessness, and poor school performance. In her conversations with guests, Truman discovered that the presence of a male role model, even if it's not the father, can help set adolescents on the right path. In 2023, 25% of children under the age of six lived with one or no parent, compared to 32% of children between the ages of 12 to 17, according to the 2023 U.S. Census Bureau. Well, that data also noted that 18.3 million children live without a father in the home, the highest rate globally. Unfortunately, fatherless families are four times more likely to raise children in poverty. And research also found that women lead 84 percent of homeless uh, families. Vanishing fathers will be released on the first of March. All of the proceeds will go to at risk youth charities and organizations. Lake and Riley, the 22 year old nursing student at Augusta University in Athens, Georgia, went for a routine run on Thursday morning and crossed paths with an illegal immigrant who police say beat her to death near Lake Herrick at the University of Georgia campus in the crime of opportunity. Critics of the administration's apparent failures to address the massive influx of uh, immigrants entering the country illegally across the southern border say Jose Antonio Abara, the suspected killer from Venezuela, shouldn't have been in the U.S. to begin with. Lake and Riley's story is heartbreaking says Senator Tim Scott, a South Carolina Republican who co-sponsored a pair of border security bills. And he's been um, floating uh, as a possible vice president, uh, vice presidential pick. It should be a wake up call to the Biden administration that we cannot continue putting Americans lives at risk with our open border policies. Scott and other high profile Republicans have said, and they're pushing for border reforms and a series of bills to crack down on the type of illegal entry and catch and release policies that allowed the Ibarra brothers, there are two of them, by the way, 
to remain in the U.S. for so long without showing evidence of an asylum claim. The Secure Border Act of 2023 and Securing Our Border Act would increase the number of Customs and Border Protection agents and redirect $15 billion in Democrats funding for new Internal Revenue Service agents toward border security, respectively. In New York City, where the where Ibarra was released in September, police have described a wave of migrant crime and singled out Venezuelan nationals in particular as part of a massive robbery spike in the past year, as well as the violent prison gang Tren de Aragua, we'll go with that, which authorities warn is trying to establish strongholds here in the U.S. Meanwhile, Ronna McDaniel will step down as the RNC chairwoman. Uh, She... um, will step down from her position on the 8th of March. She announced Monday morning her decision, first reported by the New York Times, comes two weeks after former President Donald Trump endorsed North Carolina GOP Chairman Michael Watley to lead the RNC alongside his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, and senior campaign advisor Chris LaCivita. In her statement, McDaniel said she would step aside to allow our nominee to select a chair of their choosing, noting the... uh, uh, patience is rooted in historical precedent. The RNC's co-chairman uh, also announced his resignation on Monday, saying, I'm honored to have had the privilege to serve as RNC co-chair for the past year, as well as to have worked with so many grassroots leaders to help make our party successful and that he would be stepping down effective upon the election of my successor at the upcoming spring training in Houston. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news coming at the top of the hour, but stick around. There's more to come. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Hey, Republican presidential candidate Ryan Binkley dropped out of the race on Tuesday and immediately endorsed former President Donald Trump. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't know Ryan Binkley was running. Who is Ryan Binkley? Anyway, he said, today I'm suspending my campaign for the presidency of the United States of America. I guess it's an announcement that needs to be made if you're trying to become the president and offering my endorsement and unwavering support for President Trump. Binkley wrote on X, Binkley, a Texas pastor and businessman turned presidential candidate, thanked his family, his friends, his campaign team, more than 80,000 financial supporters and the hundreds of volunteers. So he's a legitimate candidate. When I began this journey, he said, it was with a message in my heart that our country needs to awaken to the fact that the unsustainable deficit spending and debt path that we are on will undoubtedly lead us to a generational economic disruption. He wrote on Tuesday, again on X, I believe that we can get off that path and began a journey to balance the federal budget by transforming and demonopolizing the health care system, which has been bankrupting our nation. I also felt deeply that as bad as the U.S. fiscal and monetary policy is, the political corruption and cultural divide in our country is an even greater threat. Throughout my campaign, I have seen our party struggle to find a place for a new vision while weighing the corrupt allegations and indictments against President Trump. He will need everyone's support, and he will have mine moving forward, end quote. Binkley is the co-founder and current CEO and president of Generational Equity Group. It's a merger and acquisitions business um, advisory in, um, in Texas, and he announced his bid to run for the White House back in April of last year. Again, Ryan Binkley. Well, the investigation into the Biden's businesses is heating up and 
uh, in the House as Republicans continue to dig into the family's very concerning patterns, as they put it. Representative James Comer, the Republican out of Kentucky and chairman of the House Oversight Committee that's spearheading the investigation into the first family, revealed the findings that are resurfacing in the probe during his appearance on Mornings with Maria on Tuesday. I think we've established a pattern of Um, A pattern that Joe Biden did communicate with every single person that wired his family millions of dollars. We've uncovered a pattern that they were selling the brand, Comer said. There's no buying business when the media says the Hunter Biden and Jim Biden owned an energy uh, company. They didn't own an energy company. They owned an influence peddling scheme. That's all this is, he declared. Well, on Friday, the president announced that the U.S. will impose more than 500 new sanctions on Russia as a result of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. However, it has since been revealed that two Russian oligarchs linked to Hunter Biden were spared in the president's decision. I won't bother to try to mispronounce their names. Well, in August, the committee provided screenshots of bank records. They say demonstrate that uh, Buterina, the widow of the former Moscow mayor, wired three point five million dollars to Rosemont Seneca Thornton in February of 2014. Hunter Biden's longtime business partner, Devin Archer, confirmed the payment during his interview. Well, that uh, sanctions looks like a policy decision that Joe Biden made in return for millions of dollars that his family received from an adversary, Comer said. Well, the Kentucky GOP representative continued calling the act very concerning as he highlighted the firm evidence that the Bidens took millions of dollars from a shady character in Russia and as a result failed to put sanctions on this particular Russian oligarch. These are accusations, and the uh, committee is apparently going to continue in its effort to determine whether or not to attempt an impeachment of the president. Well, the South Carolina results, particularly when you delve into the exit polls, have exposed some of Trump's vulnerabilities, and more and more media outlets are starting to catch on. MSNBC's Morning Joe opened its Monday show with this point. Likewise, a Drudge Report headline on Monday morning blared 40 percent Republicans vote against Trump in South Carolina. Demographic warning signs divided party. The Drudge headline linked uh, to reports in The Hill, Axios and The Wall Street Journal, all buttressing the argument that losing nearly 40 percent of the vote should be interpreted as a five alarm fire. It's even worse for Trump than that. A Fox News voter an- analysis rather showed that 59 percent of Haley voters in South South Carolina say they would not support Trump in the general election if he were the nominee. And if you think this is unique to South Carolina, consider the fact that nearly half of Nikki's Iowa backers also said they wouldn't support Trump come November. Make no mistake, Trump could lose the presidency if Haley-style Republicans stay at home. In fact, there's a reason to believe this phenomenon already cost him the 2020 election, at least in one key state. During a surreptitiously recorded conversation in 2021, MAGA-Senator Ron Johnson, the Republican from Wisconsin, admitted the only reason Trump lost Wisconsin is that 51,000 Republican voters didn't vote for him. Trump lost Wisconsin by almost 21,000 votes. Now, the good news for Trump is that the other side has problems, too. But it's very concerning for the Republicans. In other news, while the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear an appeal of a Missouri case where potential jurors were dismissed 
uh, from hearing a trial due to their biblical beliefs on homosexuality. Justice Samuel Alito chose to issue a five-page statement reluctantly agreeing not to hear the case over a procedural issue, yet he warned this discrimination poses a danger to religious freedom. Missouri Department of Corrections versus Gene Finney is an employment discrimination case involving Jean Finney, a former corrections officer who self-identifies as a lesbian and claims she was fired from her position for presenting as masculine. Two potential jurors were dismissed from hearing the case for having biblical views that homosexual conduct is sinful. In his opinion, Justice Alito reasoned that when the lower court upheld the jurors' dismissal, it was a statement saying a person with traditional religious views is presumptively unfit to serve as a juror in a case involving a homosexual. Justice Alito wrote, the lower court concluded that the jurors had been dismissed not on the basis of their religious status, but on the basis of their religious beliefs. And this distinction, it said, made all the difference because, in its view, while dismissals um, based on a juror's status as Christians must comport with strict scrutiny, dismissals based on a juror's views need not. Justice Alito then stated he had anticipated a situation like this in his dissenting opinion in the 2015 Obergefell versus Hodges decision that legalized same-sex marriage across the country. This holding exemplifies the danger that I anticipate in Obergefell versus Hodges, namely that Americans who do not hide their adherence or rather uh, adherence to traditional religious beliefs about homosexual conduct will be labeled as bigots and treated as such by the government, wrote Justice Alito. The opinion of the court in that case made it clear that the decision should not be used in that way. But I am afraid that this admonition is not being heeded by our society. During the jury selection phase, Finney's attorney asked all the potential jurors what he called a tricky question about whether any of them went to a conservative Christian church that teaches homosexuals shouldn't have the same rights as everyone else because what they did was a sin. Justice Alito wrote, the question was indeed tricky because it conflated two separate issues, whether the prospective jurors believe that homosexual conduct is sinful and whether they believe that gays and lesbians should not enjoy the legal rights possessed by others. Despite the jurors stating they could follow the law and that homosexuality as a sin had nothing to do with the legal aspects of the case, Finney's attorney argued the jurors could not fairly apply the law and decided a case involving a homosexual person. The trial judge in Missouri decided to err on the side of caution and granted the motion to dismiss the jurors. Ultimately, the final selected jury sided with Finney on her sexual discrimination and hostile work environment claims, awarding her $275,000 in damages. Both the Missouri Supreme Court and the Supreme Court of the United States declined to review the case because the Missouri Department of Corrections did not properly preserve the objection to the juror's dismissal. However, even though Justice Alito agreed on procedural grounds, he expressed that dismissing jurors, even when they can act impartially, raises a very serious issue that a future and appropriate case should address. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our march through some of the day's headlines. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the legislature in Colorado is looking to mandate educators to address trans students by their chosen pronouns and or names. 
Well, the Colorado State Legislature advanced a bill on Friday aimed at mandating K-12 schools statewide to implement policies requiring educators to address transgender students by their preferred name in all school settings, including in records and documents independent of parental approval or a formal legal name change. The bill will need one more round of voting before advancing to the Senate floor. House Bill 1039, a bill largely backed by the progressive group Colorado Youth Advisory Council, would also impact charter schools and mandates that educators use students' non-legal names in all school-related functions, including extracurricular activities, rosters, attendance lists, yearbooks, and student ID cards. This month, a couple of Indiana's Um, asked the United States Supreme Court to intervene after their child, who was transgender, was taken from their home by the state when they refused to use his chosen name and pronouns. Well, Coke Networks has stripped funding from Nikki Haley's presidential campaign, Americans for Prosperity Action. The network, backed by billionaire Charles Koch, is pausing its financial support of Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley's campaign a day after she lost to former President Donald Trump in her home state's primary in South Carolina. AFP Action said it still endorses Haley for president, but now its support will only come in the form of words, not cash. And Sweden cleared the final obstacle to NATO admission on Monday as Hungary voted to ratify the Nordic country's bid after nearly two years of negotiation. Sweden will be the 32nd country to join NATO, discarding its historic position of military neutrality. Estonia Prime Minister said that all NATO members have ratified Sweden's accession, an important day for the security of the Nordic-Baltic region and the alliance. Uh, Sweden's joining NATO also sends a signal to Russia. Attempts to blackmail NATO away from its neighborhood have failed. And President Biden announced a visit to the southern border. The White House on Monday said the president uh, will make a last minute trip to the U.S. southern border, his second in his first term. The border with Mexico Thursday as the illegal immigration crisis continues to rage and impact his poll numbers. The visit to Brownsville, Texas, will mark the president's second time to the area over his 40 year political career not just his presidency. Last year, he paid a visit to El Paso, where federal government detention centers were cleaned out before he arrived. So he didn't actually see what's happening at the border. The RNC research says the president will allegedly visit the southern border on Thursday for the second time in his entire life. His first visit was, in a local reporter's words, a dog and pony show that didn't get to the heart of the issue. Well, Hezbollah launched 60 rockets into Israel after the IDF killed two terrorists deep within Lebanon. The um, Israelis um, launched airstrikes Monday deep into the country, killing at least two people, prompting the terror group to respond by firing 60 rockets toward the Jewish state. The Israeli attacks came in response after Iran-backed Hezbollah shot down an Israeli drone hours earlier. Israeli warplanes struck Lebanon's uh, Bekaa Valley, its deepest attack into the territory of its northern neighbor. Hezbollah responded by firing the 60 Katusha rockets at an Israeli army headquarters in the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights near Syria. Houthi terrorists targeted underwater communications cables connecting Europe and Asia as well. Four underwater communications cables between Saudi Arabia and Djibouti were struck out of commission in recent months, said Israeli news outlet Globes. Attacks by the Iran-backed Houthis are widely considered to have damaged the cables believed to belong to the AAE-1 CECOM, uh, Europe-India Gateway, and TGN 
systems. The knockout marks serious disruption in communications between Europe and Asia. Meanwhile, the immediate harm will be felt by the Gulf states and India. More evidence that the administration, the Biden administration's whack-a-mole strategy of trying to counter Iran-backed proxy attacks is failing. MSNBC's Joy Reid recorded a race-fueled rant about America having more children. This is not her first rant. MSNBC's um, Reid blasted Senator Tommy Tuberville in a viral video invoking illegal immigration and slavery while asking why the United States needs more children. The United States has a population of north of 327 million people. Why do we need more kids, she asked. Your party, Senator Tuberville, is one screaming is the one screaming that 10 million immigrants, I don't even know if that number makes any sense because it doesn't, have streamed into the country since Joe Biden has been president. The MSNBC host then invoked slavery in an attempt to bolster her argument after accusing Tuberville of uh, appearing to want to bring back a black slave class, which is certainly an exaggeration. Reed attacked the senator for his race, which, of course, he was born into. Charlie Kirk pointed out that there is an upside. Reed is hateful enough that she will say what others keep quiet, that the people who demand you accept every immigrant on planet Earth hate the idea of America's having their own children. Leftism is an ideologic ideology of hatred of civilization, of babies and of America. Again, Charlie Kirk, the Supreme Court heard arguments in a case banning bump stocks on firearms To gun enthusiast Jeremiah Cottle is an American hero, an entrepreneurial success story. To his critics, the decorated Air Force veteran, father of four, and inventor of the bump stock accessory is a promoter of mass death. Well, this week, the fate of the device and Cottle's multi-million dollar business hang in the balance at the U.S. Supreme Court, which is weighing whether the government can ban bump stocks as machine guns under federal law. A machine gun is a mechanical definition by law, and it doesn't meet that definition, Cottle argued. But the court will decide if he's right. For years, the ATF approved bump stocks for sale. But after the Route 91 festival shooting in Las Vegas in 2017, the agency reversed course and banned the product, declaring that its uh, prior determinations did not reflect the best interpretation of the term machine gun. A former New York Times reporter discussed his time in the woke machine. Uh, Spencer Brown, in terms of the uh, woke inmates running the asylum, the New York Times has been a notable example of what goes wrong when far leftist orthodoxy takes over once reputable institutions. Now, thanks to former New York Times opinion staff Adam Rubenstein, who edited Senator Tom Cotton's op ed responding to leftist BLM riots during the mostly peaceful summer of 2020. I don't remember that version of it, but we have a new anecdote that shows the um, HR culture at the Times is even more absurd than the satire writer could concoct. And another inside account on the insane reaction to publishing Cotton's quite mainstream opinion on the riots destroying American cities and livelihoods. In an essay for The Atlantic, Rubenstein, he explains how he realized almost straight out of the gate after being hired at the Times in 2019, things were not going in the uh, in a sane direction, as he put it. Adam Rubenstein, I took notes, he said, genuinely beyond satire. Well, we've uh, we're just about out of time. I want to uh, thank uh, Pedro Bartes for engineering and producing in the Seattle area and bid you in the Seattle area a fond farewell. If you're listening in Portland, we're going to hear a conversation I had with Phyllis Bennett on the women's conference that's coming up uh, March the 9th. 
Ignite, the women's conference, and some changes in that ministry. So that'll be coming up uh, for the Portland audience in just a few moments. Again, Seattle, have a great night. Hope you'll join us here again tomorrow. Portland, stick around. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. Well, as you may have become accustomed over the last 10 years, Ignite, the Women's Conference, is back this March. Here to talk with us about that is Phyllis Bennett. She is the Director of Inspiring Women to Biblical Excellent. She's also the co-moderator of Ignite 2024, All In Living with Grace-Filled Holiness. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Georgine, for having me. And I'm grateful that uh, the co-moderator with me is you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm looking Looking forward forward to doing that together. Yeah, which will be the 11th year of Ignite. Let's just back up a little bit and talk about um, this conference. As I mentioned, it's been around for a decade. And this has been a a conference that is directed toward bringing women together around the scriptures. Uh, Tell us a little bit of the backstory of Ignite. Well, um, it's been going on for 11 years. We, I was um, hired as the director of the Women's Center for Ministry at Western Seminary and was asked to create events for our city. And so we have had Survive in the Fall, which focuses more on women involved in ministry, women in leadership. And then I just had a real heart for a, a, a large outreach to our city. So it's grown to about uh, 500 women uh, normally, and it's just so thrilling to see women from every walk of life, um, different denominations, um, uh, multi-ages. We usually have two worship teams. It's it's just a thrilling, thrilling day. Um, power packed. Yeah, it, it really is. And over this, uh, the course of this um, 11 years now, I th- this year is number 11. Is that correct? It is number 11, yes. This year's number 11th. Um, You featured a number of excellent Bible teachers, uh, women from our city who have brought God's word around a particular theme. Now, this year, the theme is all in living with grace filled holiness. Tell us a bit about that theme and how you arrive at where we are in the city among women uh, and how this focuses on really the heart of where women happen to be at, at a given time. Yeah, our desire is we have a brainstorming team of about 25 to 30 women. Uh, We now gather by Zoom. We used to do it in person pre-pandemic. But we are just gathered for a morning of listening to God of what's on his heart for the city. We really want to know what he thinks about the women of his city and how we can meet their needs. And so this last year, we we had a a real God moment because we were talking a lot about the theme of, of boldness. And one of the older women spoke up and said, I'm not feeling comfortable with that word. And so I looked to Lindsay Ponder, who was going to be our keynote for Revive, and I said, Lindsay, how would your generation, she's now 27, how would your generation respond to that? And she disciples the generation below her. And she said, my generation is is looking to to go back to the old values, the old-fashioned values. So she said, I would want to say living with grace-filled holiness. And there was just this holy moment, like, wow, who could touch that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we just felt um, that the Lord had given to us the theme uh, of uh, God's calling us to, to be holy. Uh, it's, it's a biblical command, be holy for I am holy. But in our world um, that is in, increasingly losing its moral center, it's easy to struggle with 
finding leadership and modeling integrity, grounded in truth. And we're just excited to see what God wants to do. I, he's got to be present because he is the Holy One. And so we're, we're excited to see how he shows up and how he draws us to his holy heart. I love the balance of holiness, which can be so intimidating and overwhelming when you consider the holiness of God. It's it's preceded by grace filled holiness. That seems more approachable. It reminds us that uh, we are the recipients of grace, that we have the have access to grace through his Holy Spirit. And how do we live that out in daily life? What an exciting opportunity to explore God's word among women from this city who are Bible teachers and leaders and moms and, you know, every walk of life who come together around um, around serving Christ in a way that reflects his heart for this city. Let's talk a bit about how the conference um, is is conducted. We mentioned or maybe I didn't mention that Marianne Nowak is the keynote this year. There are also a series of workshops that reflect the theme of the conference. Let's start with Marianne. Talk a bit about her. This is not her first time being a speaker for uh, Ignite. She's been uh, a breakout speaker a good number of times, and this is her second time that she will be our keynote. So I'm very excited to have her. She um, nurtures a flock of 500 women at River West Church uh, as pastor to women there. at, uh, um, And they have online, morning, night. Um, so she is, is such a dynamic Bible teacher, and I'm just thrilled to have her. It's going to be really fun to see what God does through her. So we're looking forward some, to some great biblical insights from the keynote speaker, Marianne Nowak. There are also 20 inspiring and empowering breakout sessions that cover a wide range of subjects that will really touch the heart of women in our city. Tell us a bit about some of them. Well, I, um, I feel like there's some tough topics we're uh, tackling this mm-hmm. year. Um, Julie Tadema, Do As I Say, Recognizing Recovering from Spiritual Abuse. We've been wanting to have that for a long time. Um, and then um, Jody Mayhew is taking another tough one on leaving addiction, the reordering of our of our desire. I've, I'm thrilled that we're having that one. And then protecting our children. And a new speaker among us will be Natalie Larson. And she's going to look at the whole issue of, um, of protecting our children, particularly in the area of, of gender identity and the gender fluidity that uh, is being created in our schools today. She's a brave, a brave lady, but she's going to call us to rise up like Deborah and to be a mother in Israel. So there, there are three that I'm, I'm particularly excited about that will be, um, we just, they're just topics we need to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And And, I, go ahead, please go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, um, uh, Stacey Womack is coming with uh, moving from horrible to, to holiness, the, the whole issue of, of, of domestic violence. Um, yeah, so there, there's some tough topics. And then the easier topics, but so needed, building holy habits into our children, the call to leadership as a leader, which Dorcas Smith is going to take um, from, from the Brown Sisters. I'm excited that she's going to be speaking this year. Yeah, and then Daring to Dream Again. Um Holiness reborn. What do we have? What happens when we hit, hit a kibosh in life and life just hits us and throws us under the bus? Do we come back? Can we dare to dream again? Can holiness be reborn in us? So, yeah. 
I'm, I'm excited. I just think they're going to be uh, uh, incredible topics. Oh, I do, too. And I think it's important to mention that we're talking about women from different generations. You have some very young women. You have some mature believers who've walked with the Lord for a very long time uh, who are bringing from God's word a perspective on how we can tackle some of these challenging uh, subjects that our grandparents probably would not have imagined <laughs> would be uh, relevant yes. to, to women of faith. Yes. So true. So true, Georgine. Yeah. Now, in addition to coming together around God's word with great teaching, and you mentioned some of the breakout sessions, there are 20 of them. You can go to the website for more details on the the remainder. Uh, But in addition to that, there is a time of deep, rich worship. And there is a worship team that's made up of folks from different places in our city as well. And I I am so thrilled. Um, Our worship team is a bit of a shift this year, but we have a new worship team leader, uh, Jamie Bonifee, and she is so dynamic, passionate, uh, heart for God, so gifted musically. Um, and Olivia Pothoff will be back. Uh, she, she's on vocals and uh, keyboard and just really blessed us a lot last year. And we have a violinist, um, a, a bass guitarist, a, a acoustic guitar. Um, Amanda from uh, Ananda from um, uh, re- uh, from Village, which is where we're going to be. Village Church. She's their pastor of worship. She's, I think, twenty-seven. Um, and grew up in Brazil and had a dream of coming to America to uh, learn English so she could. And now she's here, leading an intercultural, multicultural worship ministry there. She's really dynamic. Dy- dynamic. So. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a great time. And then I'm thrilled that we are also going to have special musical guests. Um, one being yours truly, Georgine, and her sister are coming to to bless us in the first plenary. And just so thrilled to uh, meet your sister. And I didn't even know you had a sister, much less <laughs> one that sang with you. The Rose Sisters are going to be on stage. And then the second um, in the second plenary, we're going to have. Olivia uh, Pothoff and um, Joy Haley will be doing a duet that they've actually recorded together. So I think that's going to be really a special, special time. So it's a power packed day. There's there's no two ways, yeah, to stop it. It's 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 going to be great. <laughs> uh, I don't just don't miss it. <laughs> We're talking with Phyllis Bennett. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. So stay with us again. Phyllis is the director of. Um, inspiring Women to Biblical Excellence, and we're talking about Ignite 2024, the Women's Conference. I'm Georgine Rice, back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm talking with Phyllis Bennett. She is the director of Inspiring Women to Biblical Excellence, and she is herself an excellent leader, Bible teacher, professor. Uh, she has been a leader in our community for many years, and we're so grateful that she has dedicated herself not just to her own spiritual enrichment, but reaching out and ministering to women throughout our city. She has gathered a collection of women who have a similar heart and together have and have inquired of the Lord, what would you have us focus on this year in this conference to meet the needs of the women in our community? And Ignite 2024 is a reflection of that intentional, deliberate seeking after the Lord, coming to a, a conference title, selecting speakers, 
um, workshop titles and so on, worship that will be centered around the theme so that we can come together as women in our city of various generations and uh, as well, seek the Lord. What would you have me do in this generation at this time that will honor you? How can we uh, apply grace-filled holiness in each of our walks of life? And uh, Phyllis, I'm just so grateful uh, for your commitment to our community and your commitment to women in our community that has continued this through the 11th year of this particular ministry, but in other ways as well. So thank you. Thank you, Georgina. I am thrilled that we get to do it again, and we get to do it together. And I'm excited. Um, Georgina is going to be doing a workshop on holiness in the workplace. So that will be another winner. You know, it's such so an honor such an honor to be among the, the women who will be uh, teaching in these workshops. They are gifted teachers, and I feel a, <laughs> a little bit out of place sometimes because they're, they're just incredible, the serious women of faith who have so much to offer in our community. So I'm grateful for the breakout sessions that will be part of uh, Ignite 2024. I should also mention that when you're at the conference, you have an opportunity uh, to engage in receive prayer or to enter Proceed with others. There's a, a gifted group of uh, intercessors who are there to pray for the conference, to pray for individuals who are part of the conference. So we are just bathed in prayer. It began in prayer. It's sustained by prayer. And there are opportunities to uh, to continue through this conference. There are also uh, opportunities for women to learn about some of the ministries in our community as well. Tell us about that uh, that opportunity in the lobby of uh, Village. Yeah, we gathered uh, a ministry fair. Uh, focused on, I like to call them the hidden and hurting, hurting people in our city. Everything from um, uh, looking at the issue of a, um, a, just safe pregnancies and um, trying to nurture people through those kinds of hard seasons. Um, uh, ministries downtown, uh, the missions downtown that will be represented. Um, yeah, it's it's just a, a fabulous time to gather those that are uh, that just really need a voice. These kinds of ministries don't get into churches very often, and so we want to bring the church to them so that they can um, people can walk around and introduce themselves and get to know uh, what these ministries are all about. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, it's again, it's just an opportunity to see ourselves as part of the body of Christ. We have women from, as you mentioned, the the different denominations, different age groups who are coming together with a singular purpose, and that is to draw nearer to God, to draw nearer to one another and to equip ourselves for the purpose that God calls each of us to. How did you uh, come uh, come up with? Um, this idea of of bringing women together and how do you gather such a unique collection uh, of women who are part of the the leadership and teaching team of Ignite um, this and in previous years? Well, I really feel that since we were, we have been birthed out of the Women's Center at at Western Seminary, we have eight classes there that are still being taught. uh, women in leadership, I teach two on biblical excellence. One is uh, um, training women to exposit God's Word, another one to write Bible study curriculum. Uh, and so that's been the backbone. There are a lot of our speakers that have graduated from Western. Um, and we have, um, and then speakers that have graduated from Multnomah and George Fox. We are rich in our city with um, institutions that have educated uh, people. And so 
as we draw our speakers from that group of people, it's just been so thrilling to see the conference grow in, in breadth as well as depth. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And then we're, we're constantly trying to hook up and uh, um, to really collaborate with others. Collaborative connections are really important to us. And so, for instance, um, Renee Boucher will be doing a, um, a breakout on she's uh, heads up the prayer ministry within our city. And so I'm, I'm really thrilled that she will be among us um, doing a, a one on rezoning through prayer, rezoning our city through prayer. And, um, and then uh, Brenda uh, Palapos will be doing one on hearing God's holy heart for others. So hearing God for the individual and then hearing God for the city will be two different breakouts. We've put them at two different hours. So people who have a passion for prayer can um, get challenged in prayer at each breakout time. So yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a fabulous. And then um, just even looking at the, the story for a waiting world, uh, Taylor Turkington is a, a graduate of Western, and she's going to be focusing on, on on evangelism. And you'll be doing the same for in the workplace. So um, I, I just think it's going to be it's just going to be a power packed day, and so fun to see these women who've really become a community together. We love each other, encourage each other, and want to keep championing each other. Yeah, it is so inspiring to be in a group of women, some of whose faces I recognize, others I don't, women who are significantly younger than me, women who are older than I am. Some of us are new in the faith. Some of us have been walking with the Lord for a period of time, but we come together for a common purpose. And God uses that time in very uh, significant ways to minister to us as individuals and to buoy us up as women of faith in our community. I think we walk out of the, the sanctuary at the end of it, just having a surge of energy and a sense of purpose. And I I so enjoy just having that opportunity once again. We're talking about the Ignite Women's Conference. Uh, This year, the theme is all in all. Don't say this very well, uh, Phyllis. All in living with grace filled Holiness. Marianne Nowak is the uh, uh, the keynote speaker. There are 20 breakout sessions, great worship, and I love that. There'll be an opportunity to learn about ministries from around our city, and all of that is going to be held this year at Village Church in Beaverton on March the 9th. Now, let me encourage you to mark your calendar. It's a day-long event. March the 9th. Online registration is $39 until the 4th of March. So now is a great time to register and to enjoy that discount. Uh, You can also register at the door for $45, and there are student and group discounts available. So you can check that out at the website, and I'll give that to you in just a moment. But I really want to encourage you. You know, you hear a, a conversation like this, and you might think, oh, that sounds really interesting, but I'm not sure I would become... Girl... Come. We are inviting you to come. <laughs> Amen. To come yes. and be with and your bring sisters. Bring your friends with you. <laughs> bring yeah. your friends with you. Come and yes. meet more um, more girls in the body of Christ who are along with you contending for the faith, who are um, are endeavoring to live a life of holiness and purpose, to love others well. And that's what this conference is all about, bringing us together and all of us being inspired and encouraged by one another's stories and the opportunity to, to hear from gifted teachers to worship together outside of our our congregations, which is wonderful, but meet some girls from from other uh, churches as well. Now, again, that's coming up on. Go ahead, Phyllis. No, no. I think within our churches, we can so easily get so siloed 
mm-hmm. and and forget that the body of Christ is so much bigger. The power that is at this conference, it, it, you can feel the presence of Christ. Uh, it 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 it's an over the top experience. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it is. So let me just encourage you, if you're shy, come. If you're, you know, an outgoing person, you love to talk, come. If you're somewhere in the middle, you're very young and you're not sure, come. If you're older and you think maybe my season of ministry is over, come. The bottom line is we want to encourage you to be a part of Ignite. We want you to experience what it means to live out grace-filled holiness in whatever role God has called you. And we're talking about all in um, giving ourselves wholly to, to Christ. You can get more information at lovingpeoplefully.org slash ignite dash conference dash 2024. And I'll make sure that's on the uh, Facebook page and the KPDQ page as well so that you can check that out. Lovingpeoplefully.org slash ignite hyphen conference hyphen 2024. Uh, we just want to encourage you to come and be with us at Village Baptist on March the 9th in Beaverton. Any closing thoughts, Phyllis? I just don't want you to miss it. I, the last thing I would want for you to go to church on Sunday morning on the 10th and and have everybody talking about it at your church and that you weren't there. Please don't. Please come. Please bring friends. Please know that God is going to touch your life in amazing ways. Amen. Well, Phyllis, once again, I thank you so much for your leadership in the city, and I thank you for talking with us here today. Thank you so much, Georgine, for the opportunity. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay. Again, Phyllis Bennett is the director of Inspiring Women to Biblical Excellence, and she is uh, going to be one of the co-moderators, along with myself, at the Ignite Women's Conference coming up on March the 9th at Village Baptist Church. All right. Well, we are just about out of time here at the end of the show. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.